few days ago, I was overwhelmed when I heard a particular story from a friend of mine. It's a, it's a recent occurrence that happened in the last couple of weeks, and I, I asked her if it was okay if I shared the story, and she said, absolutely. So a couple days ago, I was sitting in the living room of a, of a friend of ours, and uh, she, she goes over and gets off the bookshelf a picture and brings it over and shows it to me. And I look at the picture, and I'm like, oh, wow, what a nice picture. This is such a great picture. Uh, and then she goes, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, this is a profound picture. She said, um, look, 14 years ago, my mother passed away. And I was going to visit, this a couple weeks ago, I was going to visit one of my mother's old friends who had just moved into a nursing home. And I was going to visit her on behalf of my mom. And when I got to the nursing home, the, uh, the nurse told me, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to have the appointment today. There's been a few uh, things that have happened, and so we're going to have to rebook it. And so instead of just driving straight back home, she decided that she was going to drive to Crossroads Thrift Store, do a little shopping, do a little looking around while she was out and about. And she went into the store, and she goes, there was something about walking into the store that day that was unique. I, I just passed by everything. I walked all the way to the back of the place, and I looked on a shelf, and to my surprise, I recognized something. She goes, I go, well, what was it? She goes, it's the picture you're holding. I recognized myself. I got to the back of the thrift store, and there was a picture of me and my mom in this beautiful frame. And at that moment, I'm thinking to myself, like, have you been drinking anything? Have you been, like, smoking anything? Like, no, I'm just joking. My friend's not like that. Um, but she goes, isn't that profound? And I was like, you know what? It seems to me like it was a little love message from Jesus just to you on that day when you're on, you're on a mission to do something for your mom and you walk into a thrift store and you find a picture of you and your mom. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty profound moment. The point that I'm wanting you to get today is this. You always recognize you. Like, look, if you're going into a thrift store or any other store, and you go walking by a bunch of pictures, and there's you, I guarantee you, you stop. And you go, what in the world am I doing in a picture at a thrift store? She still doesn't know to this day how it got there. And I said, look, it's probably less about that. It's more about the fact that God just wants you to know he loves you and he cares about you. But you, you recognize you. And my, and my question to you today is this. In God's word, are you going to recognize you? See, we can recognize the image of our face but do we recognize ourselves in Scripture all the time? It's one thing to see your face. It's another thing to see your face in Scripture. And today in the church of Laodicea, you're going to see yourself. Because the church of Laodicea is the church of America. And so I want you to do something with me. I want you to prepare your heart. Because out of Revelation chapter 3, you're getting ready to see yourself. So let's prepare our heart. And let me just pray for you today as we prepare our heart to really receive from God's word and to see ourselves, Lord... We stop for a moment, and we say thank you for your word. Lord, your word challenges us. It brings life to us. But, Lord, your word can sometimes, it, it kind of it rebukes us as well. And, Lord, we need that today because when your word corrects us, it, it aligns us to be more like you. So, Lord, we invite you at New Life Church at all campuses today. Let your word speak to us. Let your word bring life. Let your word bring correction to us. We open up our hearts to you, and all of us together, we end this prayer with amen. 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 Well, the church of Laodicea, what really is this church? This church is found in the wealthiest community that man knew about at that time. Wealthier than Rome, 
the wealthiest group of people known at that time on planet Earth. They weren't just the wealthiest. It was also the medical center of the known world. They had all kinds of medical advancements that were coming out of Laodicea. In fact, they even had an eye ointment um, that had been around for quite some time that had some amazing healing properties in it. They were also the fashion capital of the world and the financial capital of the world. I mean, Laodicea of its day would be like taking New York City and Los Angeles and slamming them together and saying, look at this one city. Like, that would be incredible. But this, these guys, these guys had some, some issues. They, they were incredibly wealthy and they put a lot of dependency on their wealth. In fact, historically we know that in AD 62, there was a massive earthquake that destroyed the city. We're not talking about like minor destruction. We're talking about a massive one that destroyed the city. These guys refused the Roman Empire's financial help and constructional help. They paid for it and did the work themselves. That's how dependent they were. Now, look, if, if that same thing happened today in a city like New York or Los Angeles, FEMA would rush in. Okay, they would be there. State government would rush in. They would kick in cash. And the federal government would turn around and write just another one of their checks. Did I say that out loud? Right? And they would give their money as well. That's what would happen. But not in Laodicea. In Laodicea, these people were driven by their wealth and by their wealthy living. And so, unfortunately, that became part of their decay as well. But here's an interesting fact about this church. We, we find this church being brought up in Paul's letter to the church of, Col- of Colossae. In fact, we see in this letter that Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he's basically saying, hey, look, uh, I, I love this church of Laodicea. These guys have got some decent things going on. But here's what's interesting. The book of Revelation was written a decade after, 10 years after, roughly, than the letter that Paul actually wrote to the church of Laodicea. Let's reference what I'm talking about in Colossians chapter 4. Paul says to the church of Colossae, Hey guys, please, please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her home. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And then as a side note, it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, you guys should read the letter that I wrote to them as well. So I want you to notice something. Ten ten years before this letter that Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea, Paul writes to the church of Laodicea. And he encourages the church of Colossae, hey, you guys should read that letter I wrote to them. And he also says to the church of Colossae, would you please pass on this letter I wrote to you? Would you pass it on to the brothers, our brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus Christ? Right? Would you pass it on to the church of Laodicea as well? One thing we know about Paul's letters is that they're life-giving. They are life-giving. Now, they're challenging and they bring correction, but in the end, they're life-giving. Why? Because Paul's letters that are written to, to the church of Galatia, to, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae, right? And on and on. His letters that are written are life-giving because they focus on Jesus and they focus on the church having right doctrine. So that's the letter that Paul writes to all these churches. We can then assume that the same structure of a letter is what was written to the church of Laodicea, although, unfortunately, we don't have that letter. 
So we don't have that letter to read. So all we have is the historical writings of Paul, and we can assume from that that Paul's writing the same kind of letter to the church of Laodicea. Why is that so important? Why am I stopping on this point right now? Here's why I'm stopping on it. Some 10 years before Jesus writes this letter that is incredibly challenging to a church that has drifted and fallen away from him, Paul writes a letter to a group of people that are still called brothers and sisters in in the faith. That tells me this. It doesn't take long for any one of us to see our faith go from something that's on fire for God to something that's cold. It doesn't take long for any of us to get distracted by the things of this world and let our faith slide from a point where Paul's writing to us, encouraging us to continue our faith and seeking after him to a moment where Jesus has to write us a letter that brings incredible correction. But here's the good news. Jesus did write the letter. Know what that means? He had not given up on them. In fact, he wrote the letter because he loved them and he wanted to challenge them and he wanted to bring them back to a spiritual awakening in their heart. I want you to know today, Jesus is doing the same thing for you today. He's wanting to reveal himself to you today. He's wanting to challenge you today. So have your heart open and have your heart ready to receive what the Lord has for you today. Once again, Jesus writes this letter to the church of Laodicea and guess what he starts with? He starts with a revelation of himself. Because he recognizes, he knows that for you and me, for change to happen in our lives, it doesn't happen just because we know that we are bad and we're sinners. It happens because we, we serve a loving God first. A loving God that we can run to from our sin. So Jesus reveals to the reader, he goes, look, point your attention on me first. In verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, Jesus says this. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Here's what I want you to stop and look at. I want you to look at the emphasis that Jesus purposefully uses when describing himself. He says this about himself. That look, this is the message from the one who is the amen. Not an amen, but the amen. This is the message from the faithful and true witness, not a faithful and true witness. Jesus is establishing himself, setting himself apart. He's going, look, I'm not just a part of the group. I am the one from the beginning of all creation that all things were created for and by. I am the, amen. I am the faithful witness. I am the one who is true. What is Jesus really doing here for the church of Laodicea? And what's he doing for you and me today? Jesus is making a sharp contrast between his commitment and his support and his faithfulness versus the lack of commitment and the lack of faithfulness that the church of Laodicea was showing. See, Jesus is making it very clear. I'm not the one who ran away from you. You are the one who ran away from me. I'm the one who came down from heaven. I'm the one who died on the cross to set you free from your sins. I'm the one who rose again from the grave. I'm the one who sent you the Holy Spirit so that you could live a life of freedom, that you could live a life that overcomes this world. But the church of Laodicea, like unfortunately many of us at times, especially in the American church, we, like they, had forgotten about Jesus. And they become more focused on their wealth and success. And they were more focused on spending their money and spending their time on themselves. That's what they had got wrapped up into. They got wrapped up into this place. 
And just like the Laodicean church, Jesus is calling you and me to recommit our lives to his word and to his ways. Jesus is also calling us, like he did the Laodicea church, to once again to put him first above everything else, including our wealth and including our time. And if so far in the message you've already felt a bit challenged and you've already kind of started to see yourself like the picture found in the thrift store, you unexpectedly came to this place to experience a good Sunday morning, and then all of a sudden you're being challenged with God's word and you're starting to see yourself in the imagery of God's word, and you're starting to recognize that, wow, I'm more like the Laodicea church than I want to be, then here's where transformation starts. Transformation starts when you start to refocus your attention on the faithfulness of God. When you start to get your eyes back on the fact that he is faithful, not you are faithful. That he is good, not that you are good. When we refocus our attention on his faithfulness, that's where transformation starts. Transformation also starts when you let your heart begin to melt again at the act of love that Jesus displayed on the cross. When was the last time You contemplated the act of love of Jesus dying on the cross. Yes, we know he rose again. But the act of sacrifice Jesus went through, the agony and the pain, when was the last time you contemplated, you considered that, you let your heart melt in the act of love of Christ's unconditional, ultimate sacrifice of him on the cross? When was the last time your heart melted at that? That's where transformation starts. But after the revelation of Jesus, he begins to remind the church that, look, I'm constantly watching what you do, and nothing goes unnoticed by me. Look at verse 15. I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. That was an example. I know all the things you do. Let me give you an example, right? Like, look, I don't know about you, but does it feel comfortable to know that God's watching every single thing that you do? No, right? No. It's okay. Admit it. All right? This is church. It's a good place to be honest, by the way. All right? No, it doesn't feel very comfortable. Because why? We like to get away with things. We all get away with a lot, by the way. Like, we speed and we don't get caught. So what does that make you do the next time? I can get away with it again. You go faster. That's what I heard from the front row. I won't tell you who said it go faster right but we speed we get away we get away with it so we do it again we go after it again we park in the no parking spots right are you parked in the like i'm pregnant and no you you just ate too much spot i'm talking about a man by the way are you parked in a spot you shouldn't park in and you didn't get towed so the next time you're like i'll just do that again you let your morals slip one way or another, you're on a business trip or something like that, and you didn't get caught, right? So you're like, okay, I'm good. So, man, I can keep going. Like, we get away with a lot. You cheated on your taxes and you haven't got caught yet. Yet was my ending statement, by the way. (laughs) But when it comes to God, I don't want you to deceive yourself. Just because you haven't felt the punishment of God doesn't mean he didn't see it. Okay? Okay? He, he, he still saw it. He saw it all. Why? Because God's omniscient, meaning that God knows all. That means that God sees your sin. Why? Why does God see your sin? So that you can repent and he can extend you grace. But God also sees your spiritual hunger. 
Why does he see it? So that he can, he can reward it. And he can draw close to those who are hungry for him. Ultimately, God watches, listen to me, because God cares. So when God says to the church of Laodicea, I know all that you're doing, it's not to say, by the way, I saw what you did last night. It's to let them know, I'm watching because I care. How cool is it to know that God cares enough that he watches, that he's there all the time? You know what it made me think of? It made me think of like when my father would show up to my sporting events. It made me think about when my parents would show up to my school events. How, 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 when you were a kid, how important was it that your, your, your dad showed up, that your mom showed up to your sports events and to your school events? How important was it? It was vitally important. Like the last thing you wanted to do, the last thing you wanted to do was hit the home run, right, and then see your parents show up. That's the last thing you want to see happen. Like you wanted them to be there. You wanted to like sing your solo and you wanted to look out. What does every kid do? Every kid that gets on a field, every kid that gets on a stage looks out to see if mom and dad is watching. That's what they're doing. So how cool is it that your heavenly father is fully engaged, staying connected to you, and he's watching. Now, look, if, if you feel shame because of what he has seen, then repent today. Turn your heart. God, forgive me. Get on your knees. God, forgive me. Get up off your knees with a new heading, <clears throat> head a new direction. This is what Jesus was challenging the Laodicean church to do, to change and to repent before it was too late. And we see this in verse 15 through 19, this like challenge to change. Why don't you kind of read along with me to yourself as we go through this. It says, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. And you don't even realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you, <clears throat> I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me, white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see Jesus ends it with saying this, I correct and I discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifferences. In this passage of Jesus challenging his church, which I think is a, the picture of the American church, so let's use this as a mirror and see ourselves. There's really four movements, there's four parts to this challenge. The first part happens in the very first verses that we read, verse 15 and 16, where he says, look, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold, so i got to spew you out of my mouth. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that again, preparing for this message, you know what I went to? I went to coffee. That's where I went. And I went, look, good coffee, in my book, okay, in my book, good coffee is dark, it's black, it's thick, and it is hot. I even got amens on that. <laughs> but I also know that there are others who enjoy coffee ice cold. I've traveled the world, folks. I've drank coffee on many different continents in a lot of different countries. I have never, ever in my long 52 years of life on this earth ever stood in a coffee line where someone got up there and they said, sir, how can I help you? You know what I would like? I would like a black cup of coffee, lukewarm. 
in all of my life. I've never heard that. And by the way, neither have you. And if you have, it is the point zero 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 one, and you stay away from those people. Right, follow me on this. I think the best way to explain what lukewarm means is to describe what it doesn't mean. When the word, I wish that you were hot, is used, that word in, in the original language oftentimes refers to not just hot like you like your food hot, but boiling. When the word cold is used, it's not just like I like AC in my house, I want the house to be cold, it's like freezing like what will happen in the freezer. These are the two words that Jesus chooses to use. And when you use these two words together, the hottest of hot and the coldest of colds, what do you see Jesus doing? He's drawing a picture of extreme. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you want to be most effective for the kingdom, then you have to be extreme for the kingdom. If you're lukewarm, meaning you're passive, you're uninvolved, then you're the Laodicean church, and that church became useless for the kingdom. So being extreme for the kingdom, guys, means this. Being extreme for the kingdom means serving God with purpose, purpose with intense passion, with amazing commitment, and an all-out heart of surrender. That's extreme, and Jesus calls his church to be extreme. That's not Jeff Baker saying that, although I agree. That's Jesus saying it. I wish that you were extremely hot or extremely cold because I can use both of those. He's not talking about your coldness in the sense of sin. He's talking about your usefulness for the kingdom. But because you're lukewarm, i got to spew you out of my mouth because you're useless. Wow. Jesus, by the way, he didn't send the Holy Spirit to the church of Laodicea. And he hasn't sent the Holy Spirit to you and to me to fill us with power so that we can just get by. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that you can thrive and that you can make your greatest impact for him. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the book of Acts. Right? And what do you see in the book of Acts? You see all kinds of extreme steps of faith for the kingdom that move the needle. They move the ball down the field like Paul and Peter and John and Stephen and Philip, and on, and on, and on. Let me tell you what Jesus is never going to overlook. Jesus is never going to overlook passive, uninvolved, and self-absorbed behavior. He's never going to overlook that. That's what he calls lukewarm. Your Christianity, designed by Christ himself, was designed to be thrilling, full of life, and overflowing with passion. Designed to be extreme. Where are you at on the spectrum? Is your faith moving more towards the boiling hot? Or is your faith moving towards the like freezing cold? Purified? Preserved? Is your faith moving to those levels? Or is your faith kind of like here in the middle someplace, kind of passive, uninvolved, somewhat useless, even to you at times? Because Jesus is calling his church to be extreme. That's not where he ends the challenge, though. He goes on in verse 17, and he says this. You guys say that, look, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. 
And you don't even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus uses their own words back against them. Here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing they never really spoke that out loud. Any friends I've ever had that have been wealthy have never said anything like that. I mean, they've never gone to that level of arrogance. And you know what? I, I kind of like to think that they never really said it out loud. And here's the reason why. Because it's so, it's so much more profound that they never said it out loud. But yet Jesus quoted back to them what their heart was saying. So much more profound. And you guys, that is what happens for you and me. That's what's happening today. It's less about what you have said. It's more about what you are here. This is what Jesus cares about most. He knows the secrets of the heart. He knows what you really think, even though you would never say it out of your mouth. That's what Jesus is going after. I also look at this church, and I believe this wholeheartedly. God is the one who blessed them with their wealth. You agree with me on that? I mean, good. All good things come from the Lord. I believe that's a blessing, although it can also be a curse. And that's exactly what they turned it around to be. These folks, they turned the physical blessing into the dependency instead of remaining passionate towards the one who gave it to them. It was not about wealth that God was after. He wasn't going like, wealth is evil. He was like, look, you put your dependency there, and you forgot about the one who blessed you with it. I get it. Like, you might say, well, look, Jeff, we would never do that. Like, God, go ahead and bless me. I will use all the finances for you. Some of you bought a lottery ticket with that in mind. You give it to me, God, I will give it to you. I will tithe to the church. And everybody ever says that to me, I always ask them, is that going to be like uh, pre-tax or post-tax? Which one are you going to tithe on, Right? Well, we would say that, but I want you to know today, we are just as blind as the Laodicean church when it comes to how far we can spiritually drift. So today, here's the challenge. Again, it comes back to the same thing. Let God's word challenge you today. If you're finding yourself in his scriptures, it's okay. It's okay, right? Repent, turn back to him. Listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit today. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, that's a good thing. Repent and turn back to him. Well, God continues the challenge. Jesus challenges them again to change in verse 18. And he says this to them. So this, here's what I advise you to do. I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also, buy white garments from me. So do not be shamed by your nakedness. And thirdly, hey, get the ointment for your eyes from me, buy it from me so that you'll be able to see. Isn't that interesting that Jesus focuses in right into what this city was known for? It was known for their wealth, known for their fashion, and known for their medical advancements. And Jesus goes to them and he says this, don't put your trust in all of those things. Buy them from me. Basically he's saying this, return to me. I'm the source of life. Don't put your hope in all of those other things that you're known for. This is who we are as Americans, to a T, to a T. We put our hope in the freedom that we have. We put our hope in the financial blessing that we have. We put our hope in the medical advancements that we have. We put our hope in our, you know, in all those things, guys. This is who we easily become. And Jesus is saying to us, don't put your hope in those things. Buy your wealth from me. Buy your gold from me. Buy your fashion from me. Buy your identity from me. Buy your source of life from me. 
Because all of the other ones, we get cheated. I mean, throughout history, there's always been someone there to lie to us and cheat us, to make us think we're buying one thing only to get something else. Has anybody ever got scammed that way? Has anybody else also, you know, bought the Rolex watch for 15 bucks? It seemed like it was too good of a deal. You know what I mean? I got this watch. Right? I mean, like the worst case scenario that ever happened in that, that just so you know. Okay, it was in 1925, a guy by the name of Victor Lustig. Victor lived in Paris, and he took, he took advantage of some stuff that was going on in the country at the time, and he sold the Eiffel Tower to a guy for $70,000, which equates to $1.2 million in today's money, and rising every moment, right? I mean, can you imagine that? He sold the Eiffel Tower. Here's how he did it. The, the government of France has been publicizing in the paper that the cost of the upkeep of the Eiffel Tower was getting to be so grand that we might have to tear it down. Victor capitalized on that. He contacted all the major metal scrapping guys in the country, brought them all to Paris, rented out a hotel, put them in the hotel, wined them, dined them, rented limousines, took them down to the tower, gave them special tours of the tower, claiming the entire time he works for the, for the government of France, and he's here to sell off the 7,000 tons of scrap so there's somebody who will tear that thing down and cash it in. One of the guys, one of the guys who owned one of the companies seemed so intrigued with this that he kind of found Victor on the side. He's like, how do I get in? I want this deal. And Victor said to him, you give me $70,000 right now. I guarantee you that your company will get the bid. Within a few hours, that man gave Victor $70,000. Victor that night was on a train to Austria. Boom, never saw him again. Sold the Eiffel Tower. The man was so embarrassed that he never turned in the crime. Because he didn't want anybody to know that he had got scammed. If you put your trust in sources that are not life-giving, you're going to end up spiritually bankrupt and shamed. The true spiritual source of life is Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you and me to come back to him and let him be our first source of life again. And listen, for those of you who have followed Jesus for a long time, put your embarrassment aside. You got taken advantage of by some things of this world and you sought after some other things and you put, you put your energy and your effort behind some other things and now you're sitting here and you're like, but Jeff, you don't know me, man. Like, uh, you, you don't get it. Like, I've been around this church forever. People know me as being someone who loves the Lord, who is passionate for the Lord, but I know inside my heart's drifted. Can I just say this to you? Put your embarrassment aside and run back to Jesus today. Why? Because of the last part of the challenge to change in verse 19 where Jesus says these words. I correct and I discipline everyone. Say these with me. That what? I love. He corrects and he disciplines us. Why? Because he loves us. So then he says to us, be diligent and turn from your differences. If you're sensing the correction of the Lord today, guess what you're sensing? His love. If you're sensing the discipline of the Lord today, <laughs> You're really experiencing his love. That's why you can run back to him with great confidence because you're running back into the loving arms of God. That's where you started. You drifted from there. Run back to them. Don't let embarrassment keep you from that. Right? Don't let shame keep you from that. Don't let the opinion of others keep you from that. You've drifted. Run back. Why? Because there's a reward. Jesus offers this reward to those who will return to him. 
In verse 20 and 21, he says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and I will share a meal together. We'll share a meal together as what? As friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and I sat with my father on his throne. Can I just say this to you? This is the desire of Christ today. Today, Jesus is wanting you to be so close to him that you call him friend. That's what he wants. He wants you to be so close to him that you call him friend, that you would, you would love to spend more time with him. So it doesn't matter how far you've drifted, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, it doesn't matter what you have gotten sucked into, it doesn't matter. Jesus is still knocking at your heart's door and he's still asking, will you open it up and will you let me come in, friend? Will you? So church, if you're here today and you feel spiritually stuck in your faith, you feel like, man, I've been around this church for a long time, Jeff. I've been in this game of Christianity for a long time. I feel so plateaued. Like, I don't even know where I'm going right now. I don't know what to do. Can I just tell you, look, I, I want to personally uh, help you in one way or the other. We, I've got some thoughts and some ideas. But I, I need to know first and foremost, like, who feels spiritually stuck today? And instead of asking you to raise your hand where I just kind of get a general sense, I'm asking you to kind of give up your anonymity and email me. You can email me at jeff at mindnewlifechurch.com. If you feel spiritually plateaued and spiritually stuck and you don't want to be there anymore, you don't want to be there anymore, then I want you to email me. You don't have to give me the whole full story off the bat, but I would love to know. One, I want to pray for you. Two, I want to help come alongside you in some way and help get you to a place where you're finding spiritual traction again. So if through this series has brought you to a place where you feel that way, I want to know about it so that we can do something to keep people moving forward. If you need to repent today, you need to repent today. Look, can I say this to you? There's no time like the present. <laughs> There's no time like right now. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus, today's your day. At all of our campuses, at all of our campuses, and, and in an odd way, if, if you're at home watching online, if you're at home, would you just make the, the chair or the sofa or the lazy boy or wherever it is you're watching from the edge of your bed, would you just kneel down at that and would you take a moment to repent? Would you take a moment to surrender your life to Christ? If you're at, all, if, at any of our campuses, the front of our auditoriums, some are stairs, some are edges of platforms, but you can use the front. You can come and you can stand and worship while everyone else is standing. You can come and you can kneel. But Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to not let your embarrassment keep you from running to the source of life. Okay? Today is the day to let the fire of the Holy Spirit rejuvenate true life in you. And let's use the altar, because the altars at New Life are for a particular group of people. Listen to me. The altars are for the hungry. If you're hungry, hungry enough to change, then use the altars as a place to find spiritual transformation in your life. Why don't you stand with me as we respond to the Lord. Father, today, one more time, your word has brought life to us. One more time, Lord, your word has challenged us. One more time, Lord, your word has reminded us that there is incredible reward if we seek after you, we follow you. One more time, Jesus, you've revealed a little bit more of who you are, the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. Lord, today is our opportunity to respond to you. And I pray that at all campuses, in all places, 
that we would get open and we would get honest. And we would literally respond to you. We would find our way to the altar where the hungry come to repent, to, to lay our lives down, to surrender, or just to seek you and to find you more. Jesus, I pray at all campuses, those who are here worshiping with us at New Life and online, that today would be a day where a fresh revelation of Jesus takes place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.